Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note from the foundation, we're working on our anxiety and depression literature review. The goal here is that, um, you know, if you suffer from depression or know someone that does, you go to a practitioner, they'll know, let's say, 2 to 3% of all the possible treatments. What if we're able to use thousands of different sources and gather, let's say, up to 20% of all possible treatments and causes of anxiety and depression? Uh, it would be a home run, in our opinion, and this is the resource that we're working to make available to people. So to find out more about it, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and uh, check it out there. Today, my guest is William Peronto, MD. He's an attending surgeon in the Division of General Thoracic and Fetal Surgery at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about um, working with, you know, unborn children, fetuses, uh, their biology, and gene editing to treat genetic disorders. So thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your work. Uh, how did you get involved in the areas you're in and, um, you know, why the, why the focus on uh, unborn children and trying to help them be born healthy? Yeah, sure. So like a lot of things in life, I think it was a little bit fortuitous. I went to medical school here at the University of Pennsylvania, which is associated with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And during medical school, I was kind of exploring the different fields and trying to figure out what piqued my interest and what I really liked. And in all honesty, I was um, I was very open-minded, a little bit lost, not sure what I, what I really enjoyed. I actually heard a lecture that was given by, who would, uh, by um, Dr. Adzik who turned out to be one of my mentors in the future and, and ongoing, uh, in which he discussed fetal surgery to, to treat fetuses that were prenatally diagnosed with spina bifida. So this is a, it's a structural defect uh, where the vertebral columns don't completely close and the spinal cord is being exposed to the amniotic fluid. And kids uh, with this defect can sometimes be born with, with uh, neuromotor disorders and other, and other issues. And, and just during this lecture, the idea that 
you could potentially treat that before a baby is born. And in so doing, uh, reverse or significantly improve the the disease pathology, I thought was was a little bit mind blowing and, and almost worded a little bit on science fiction. And so you know, I thought that was really cool. I, I was exposed to that because of just my location going to med school here. And I reached out to Dr. Adzik and Dr. Flake, who was uh, you know his contemporary here at CHOP, who who did similar work, and was very lucky that they took an interest in me and helped to mentor me throughout the years and expose me to this field. It's a relatively, as you would imagine, it's kind of a unique field. It's not yeah, a huge, definitely. yeah, not a huge field. There's, you know, just a limited number of places and people that do it. And so I was very, very lucky that these mentors kind of exposed uh, me to it. And so that, you know, that kind of lit the fire in me and got me excited about the idea of medicine and even surgery to treat fetuses that are diagnosed with problems before birth. What are some common problems that, uh, you know, fetuses have that you're working with to treat and how? Yeah, that's a great question. So currently, the clinical application of fetal surgery or fetal interventions is predominantly for structural or anatomic birth defects. And so it includes fetuses with large lung lesions that will make it difficult for them to breathe if they were to be born. Fetuses with spina bifida, which is the defect in the vertebral columns where the spinal cord is exposed. Sometimes fetuses with large tumors that are originating off of their uh, tailbone or off of the pericardium, which are having a significant detrimental effect on, on the heart function. They're the most common or some of the more common diagnoses that require uh, fetal surgery. But I think the key is that most, luckily, most pregnancies are not complicated by any abnormalities. And even the pregnancies that are complicated by a birth defect for which we see them by the families here at CHOP, most of them don't require fetal surgery. But, but I think that best part of my job is that you get to counsel families and discuss with them what's the diagnosis and how to best take care of it after the baby is born. So what are the approaches? Uh, gene therapy to help these babies or, you know, what does it look like right now? So right now, right now it's, it's predominantly surgery for structural or anatomic birth defects like we talked about. You know, what we think the future is and what we're really excited about, what we study in the lab here is gene therapy, including um, gene editing potential novel approach to treat genetic birth defect. And so where, where that is, the idea of in utero gene therapy, that's, that's still at the very early stages of development. It's not done clinically. It's not done in, in, in people. It's still being studied by you know, our group and a number of other groups around the world uh, in animal models, which is, which is uh, 100% necessary, right? So right now, this, we're at the point where we need to demonstrate that it's safe and that it's even feasible. But what we hope is that in the future, this will be a, a novel treatment approach for some select genetic diseases that uh, cause problems before a baby is born. And by the time the baby is born, the, you know, the cat is out of the bag and, and some of the disease is no longer treatable. So uh, again, are there any details on these proposed gene therapies? Has any of them been tried? And are any of them working? And how does yeah. that interact with, with, you know, from a surgery perspective, how does that interact with what you do? So right now, there are some gene therapies that are being used after birth, right? So there's two FDA-approved gene therapies that can be used after birth. One is for spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. The other is for a form of blindness. Uh, there's no currently FDA-approved uh, gene therapies to be used before birth, nor are there any uh, FDA trials to be used before birth, which is rightfully so. Again, it's very important to demonstrate the safety of the, the approach in animal models before applying it to 
to people. How it relates to what we do from a clinical perspective, you know, I think fetal gene therapy now is where open fetal surgery for structural birth defects was back in the early 80s. Back in the early 80s, the birthplace of open fetal surgery was at University of California, San Francisco under the father of gene therapy, or father of fetal surgery, uh, Michael Harrison. And at that time, they were only offering open fetal surgery for for defects that would essentially kill the fetus before the baby was born. And over the subsequent 20 to 30 years and rigorous animal studies, they've been able to show that fetal surgery for anatomic birth defects is safe. And now it's moved from fetal surgery for defects that will kill the fetus to fetal surgeries that for fetal surgeries for defects that won't necessarily kill the fetus, but which cause significant health problems after birth. And so I think we're right now we're for gene therapy, we're at a point now where we're, we're doing those rigorous animal studies to show that it is safe and that it could potentially work. And then hopefully over the next you know, 10 to 15 years, we'll be at a point where we can then apply it initially for diseases that either kill the fetus or are, are significantly um, morbid or cause a lot of health problems immediately after birth. And once you show it's safe in those situations, you could then entertain the idea of using it for other diseases, which again cause a lot of health problems, but which may not result in in death before or immediately after birth. But are there any, are there any therapies that are online right now that are being used, or is this all future look? Uh, in people, the idea of applying gene therapy before birth is all future. Right? There's no in utero uh, gene therapy or gene editing that is being applied in in humans at the current moment. When it is to be done, what is there a front runner candidate? Yeah, that that's particular a, therapy. Yeah, that, you know that's a great question. I think right now a lot of the neurodevelopmental disorders like SMA, for which there's already a gene therapy that's a, that's available after birth, but for which we know in that disease when the baby is already born, there's already been some disease that's occurred and and an insult to their CNS. I think that would be a very good initial target disease. Before we continue. I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. And then similarly, there are other neurodevelopmental disorders in the lysosomal storage disease category in which the pathology of the disease already has started after before a baby is born. And so the, the rationale for applying the therapy before the onset of the pathology is more obvious. And so I think they would be some lead candidates, some of these neurodevelopmental disorders. You know, you could also think about lung diseases. There are certain genetic lung diseases where when the baby is born, they're already having trouble breathing and they can go into respiratory failure. There are some genetic diseases of surfactant metabolism, for example, where unfortunately uh, the only treatment for a baby is a lung transplant, which obviously is difficult to do in a baby. It comes with the risks that are associated with the, the surgery as well as the conditioning regimens and, and you, the donor availability of lungs is, is limited. And so there are some genetic lung diseases where you could also imagine 
that you could also imagine are good candidates for uh, prenatal gene therapy or gene editing once shown safe in animal studies. What is the first condition that you think, again, that's will be used for? Will it be spinal bifida or will it be something else that is more amenable? Yeah, so for gene therapy, spina bifida is not a candidate. It's, uh, spina bifida is not a genetic disease caused by a mutation, a single gene in which you'd want to use uh, gene therapy. I think other diseases like uh, SMA would be a very nice initial target disease. Some of the lysosomal storage diseases would be a good initial target disease. It's, it's difficult to say 100% yes or no what it's going to be because, you, you know, it's only ethical and appropriate to do animal studies first to demonstrate it's the safety of the approach and the efficacy of the approach before doing it in a, in a clinical situation. Whenever you think about gene therapy and gene editing, there's always safety and ethical concerns. The idea of then applying the gene therapy to a fetus before birth only ups the ante, right? Because now not only are you talking about the fetus as the recipient of the gene therapy, but the fetus is within the mother. And so the mother has the potential of being exposed to that therapy. And so there are a number of different considerations that must be thought about before applying it clinically. Um, if it is to be applied, at what point in fetal development do you guess it would be most effective? Like the earlier, the better, or is there yeah. some time that's more amenable to it? Yeah, yeah, that's a, another great question. So it's a little bit of a balance, right? So for a lot of diseases, the earlier, the better. The timing of it is a balance between when the disease pathology begins. And in that case, like you suggest, you know, the earlier you do it, the more likely you're able to institute the therapy before the pathology begins. But at the same time, it's, it's a technically challenging approach, right? And so when we think about gene therapy delivered to a fetus, the route that you administer the therapy is likely going to be an intravascular route. And then when you think about an intravascular access to a fetus, the way to do that is to access the umbilical cord, which is commonly done now for cases of fetal anemia. It's done under ultrasound guidance. So it's a minimally invasive approach with the mother completely awake. And using an ultrasound probe and a needle, very talented maternal fetal medicine doctors can, can access the umbilical vessel and withdraw or inject blood into the umbilical vein. Similarly, that's how you think about applying gene therapy before birth. But it's a technically challenging the earlier you go. And so the timing of it would likely be in the mid to late second trimester. You know, a lot of in utero transfusions are done between 20 and 28 weeks gestation. You know, so I think it's technically feasible to do it as early as 18 weeks gestation, but it becomes more difficult the earlier you go. And so it's a combination. It's a balance, uh, like you suggested. You know, earlier the better. Is probably, earlier is probably better for a lot of diseases, but there's a technical aspect to it that's also uh, demanding. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Again, from the surgery point of view, any insights that you have that would help contribute to the betterment of, uh, of the therapies being created? Well, so I, mean, I think it's an interesting contrast between uh, what is currently done for fetal surgical procedures and what we hope to be the future for fetal gene therapy, when you think about it from the surgical point of view. Right now, for open fetal surgeries, it's a very involved procedure, right? There's a large incision along the maternal abdomen, and then the uterus is exposed. There's another large incision in the uterus uh, to expose the fetus. And then the structural birth defect is corrected. Um, the mother's under general anesthesia. It's a huge team that, that does it. You know, here at CHOP, it's led by uh, Dr. Adzik, our chairman, 
and there are multiple of us, the pediatric surgeons that help him with it. There are maternal fetal medicine doctors that do it. There's a cardiologist that's totally dedicated to keeping an eye on the fetal heart rate and the well-being of the fetus during the procedure. There's a whole team of anesthesiologists and nurses, and this whole team always works together. So it's a it's a very involved procedure. You know, it's not without its risks, but it but it's been game changing, right? So there are babies out there with spina bifida that are walking now that you, many would predict that wouldn't wouldn't be able to walk had they not had the procedure. But it, but again, it's it's a large procedure. And what we hope the future is with gene therapies for other genetic diseases is that it, it contrasts to that. Instead of being you know, a laparotomy with a big incision in the mother and an incision in the uterus, the gene therapy would be delivered via a minimally invasive approach, similar to how an amniocentesis is done or a umbilical vein transfusion is done. And so, so what do we learn from our surgical procedures with respect to the future of gene therapy? I guess we learned that there's a better way to do it other than doing these large uh, surgical procedures to deliver the gene therapy. I don't know. Are there any other diseases or indications that, uh, you know, I asked you which ones you think will be the front runner, but are there any that for some reason publicly people appear to be most interested in solving, you know, the parents of these kids that would have these problems? Are there any that, uh, you know, you've heard from them that they're, they're most interested in fixing, whether it's doable or not? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Uh, a lot of the diseases for which this is focused on are rare diseases, meaning that they don't affect a huge number of patients, but they're diseases which have very involved and very supportive patient advocacy groups and family groups. And, and that's wonderful. It's, it's unbelievable uh, to hear from them. And it's great that that support is out there. And so there are a number of diseases, there are a number of diseases that fall into that category where families appear very interested in this. A lot of the lysosomal storage diseases, the, the families appear interested in uh, novel therapies. Muscular dystrophy is another disease uh, category in which Families are very interested in, in novel therapies in which, you know, it may be potential to, to address it via in utero gene therapy. Unfortunately, there are a number of diseases out there that don't have great treatments right now. And so that motivates families to be very supportive and to look into these types of alternative possibilities that, you know, our hope is five to 10 years down the road would, would be available. Well, very good. Bill, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on your work? Um, where can they go? So, you know, you can go to the Children's Hospital Philadelphia website. We, there's the, uh, within that, the Center for Fetal Diagnosis and Treatment website, as well as our own lab's uh, website uh, there. We'd be happy to talk to anybody that's interested, or if there are any families out there with any questions, we'd be happy to speak with them as well. Well, very good, Bill. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.